0: Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Let Safeway
1: help you unleash your globe with your favorite personal care products. Right now with Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products, like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Pressed 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soap Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details.
0: G'day, everybody, and welcome to the first official uh, discussion episode of Awards Don't Matter. My name's Andrew Pierce, and I'm joined by my co-host... Dave and welcome, Dave.
1: Uh yeah, happy to be here. Happy to finally get started on the actual Oscar winners. Although I guess like one of these is a Best Picture, and one of these kind of is a Best Picture in 1928's uh, uh, Oscar
0: ceremony. Yeah, yeah, which is a little bit strange. Um, so, what are the films that we're going to be discussing then?
1: Uh, we're going to be discussing Sunrise, directed by F.W. Murnau, and uh, and Wings. Um uh directed by William Wellman. Um although there is like an uncredited director on there too, uh which has a very uh complicated last name that I'm not gonna attempt. So we'll stick with <laughs> William Wellman, who is the the more well known of the two.
0: Yes, yeah. And so I wanna we're gonna start talking about sunrise to begin with, but The reason why we're talking about two films, and and as a timer of of recording, this will be the only uh, episode where we talk about two films, Uh, and the only reason is is that for some reason for the first Oscars, they decided to award two films with different uh, awards, basically. Uh, One was... Outstanding Picture, for the first awards it was called Outstanding Picture, it wasn't Best Picture, and that went to Wings, and then there was Best Unique and Artistic Picture, which went to Sunrise, and I think, you know, looking at this particular ceremony I found was really interesting, especially uh, from a modern perspective where they, the Academy Awards uh, were certainly in the past few years talking about introducing a popular film award. And I look at this as being Outstanding Picture and Best Unique and Artistic Picture, almost a bit similar as to what they were trying to implement recently with the uh, Best Popular Film and then the Best Picture Award, where they were trying to have two great films awarded uh this was quickly dropped uh, for the second academy awards where they just ended up awarding one film for best picture um but yeah i found this really really fascinating uh what did you think of the fact that there are essentially two films sharing the the first award prize
1: i love it i wish they kept doing this um i think my 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 issue with when they were thinking about doing the, like, best popular uh, award um, for recent movies was— and I think this comes from, like, not trusting the the kind of the film community, where I was afraid, like, most of the best popular film would just go to, like, whatever made the most money, whether it be Star Wars or MCU or whatever, fill in the blank here. But I like the idea here where you have— an outstanding picture, which you could just call it best. I mean, that's that's essentially what they're getting at. And then, like, the best artistic film, the picture that pushes boundaries and does something new, does something different. Like, I think we need both of those things. And I think both of those things would be really interesting to think about, to talk about. You could talk about it from an artistic perspective as far as, you know— Stylistically, or you could do it emotionally, like a movie like you know Avatar could have won this 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 kind of secondary award, and then you don't know, you don't have to worry because like it it was you know whether you like the movie or not, and I know it seems to have become reviled in a lot of ways as we get further away from it, but you can't deny the artistry behind it and the pushing of boundaries as far as the special effects and the technical aspects. And you could really, you could really take a look at that. So I think there's a lot of ways you could go with this kind of split award. And I kind of wish they, I mean, I'm grateful for this podcast that they didn't because that was even more (laughs) movies and nominees to watch. But, but I really like that idea. And I'd never known about this. I'd never done the research on the first Oscars. So when you first told me that I was like, wow, that sounds like a great idea. I would, you know, because imagine in 2019, if, you know, you could have had, um, you know, you could have had the best picture winner stay the same, but then have something like Portrait of a Lady on Fire win Best Artistic Picture. Like that, I mean, that would be perfect. What a great celebration of the fact that you can't be objective about film and that there's different things for different people. Like here, now you get two awards and you could not only get more movies get wins, but more movies get nominations too.
0: The, I guess in some ways there's a, there is a perspective as they broaden the amount of awards that have been delivered, uh, you know, best uh, international film and best animated feature and documentary and stuff like that. Many certainly, and we'll, when we eventually get to Parasite, that the discussion will take place, but many argued that, well, that film is easily going to win best foreign language film, so therefore does it deserve to win best picture as well? And Yet, you know, I think with this particular award, it is clearly identifying two different things. One's an outstanding film, one is just a best artistic film. The outstanding film is no less artistic than the other, but it's just that there is something significantly artistic about this particular film that deserved an award for it. And it feels apt in a way as well that F.W. Monau's Sunrise is a film that. ...won that particular award. Now, it is a film that has a subtitle, in a way... uh, ...Sunrise, The Song of Two Humans... Um, ...and the plot is a fairly basic one... Uh, ...and yet, on paper... ...the plot kind of deceives how artistic the film is. So, the plot is about the man... ...played by George O'Brien. We see him uh, struggling to live a life... ...with a young child out in the country... ...with his wife, the wife, Janet Gaynor... ...who won Best Actress... And then he basically ups and leaves dinner that she's made and Scarpa's off and has a small fling with the woman from the city. As I'm saying these names because they don't, these characters don't have names. They are literally just man, woman. Uh, and the woman the from the city is played by Margaret Livingston and she whispers into his ear that maybe he should murder his wife and take her out and drown her. And Which is terrible. It's genuinely terrible. And he's so depressed and dealing with a difficult life. And uh, obviously life is hard. And we're getting all of this from a silent film and from his facial expressions and from the intertitles as well. And yet then when he takes his wife out on that fateful canoe ride, uh, somehow they end up, well we'll get onto this in a minute, but he tries to kill her and uh, that doesn't go so well. She gets pretty upset as you'd expect. And (laughs) you know, you get a little bit bothered by that. And then uh, she hops on a train and he follows her and they end up in the city. And this wonderful kind of rekindling of love is born out of a horrible, terrible thing. Um, And in that, There are so many artistic moments. One particular iconic shot is these two reunited husband and wife, these two lovers reunited and just so blind to the world around them that they've found love again. And as they're walking through this busy road, all of these cars are crisscrossing behind them and around them, causing a massive intersection, just towering with cars. And it's a beautiful moment that... uh, it still holds up today and how they did it is really impressive, but it's also just a really fantastic moment that shows how easily blind people can be in love. So that alone is, is reason enough for this film to be the sole winner of this one award. And I I love that for that particular reason. And yes, it's not considered that it's on equal billing as the best picture, but the way that it was presented at the Oscars this particular year made it Feel equal as the best outstanding feature or the the outstanding feature. Um, so this is your first time coming to this film, am I correct?
1: Oh yeah, both of these are first time watches for me. Yeah. Yep.
0: So what was your what was your feeling on it?
1: So here's my feeling: is uh, I think Sunrise is great. First of all, let me get that out of the way first. I think it's just kind of a tremendous achievement, uh, regardless of when it was made. Uh, it's one of the things that shocked me about it is how stylistically like as far as the camera work and even as things as as simple as the credits like feel they feel uh they feel engaged there's no staticness to it and i think sometimes we have a perspective of silent films that's just like oh they didn't really know what they're doing with the camera yet they just kind of set it up and you know the the actors movements is strange and blah 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 and all of that is kind of true in terms of the actors but and so i think this this could be a difficult buy-in for someone who, like, if you had never seen a silent film, this is not where I would start you. Because, like, it, it asks a lot of you. Um, it does It does feel, um, it feels a lot like a play in a lot of ways. It's an allegory, you know. So it just, it's a big ask. But, oh, my God. Like, the camera work here is incredible. The acting is incredible. I found it very surprisingly moving. Uh, it's only like ninety four minutes. It's a quick watch, and there are a couple moments where I, I had like strong reactions, maybe in the wrong direction, because it is a very different style of acting. You mentioned, you know, this this woman from the city, this like it, essentially the embodiment of evil and temptation, tells him like seemingly out of out of nowhere, like maybe you should drown your wife. And there is a you know because it's so blunt and so. Early on in the film, it does like kind of take you aback and you almost laugh because you're uncomfortable. Uh, but think about this. This movie has a long way to go from that moment. It starts off. He's you know, he's not liking his life in the country. He's frustrated for whatever reason. And he talks to this woman and this woman says, kill your wife. And you have to get by the end of the movie of you as an audience member, believing the love he has for his wife, who he's going to try to murder. And It works incredibly in 90 minutes you go from everything is terrible i'm gonna drown my wife to as you mentioned this rekindling of this relationship and bonding and moving on to a happy life and by the end of the movie you honestly believe it um and i don't think there's a and granted there's not many performances here but i don't think there's a weak performance i i thought george o'brien who plays the man was phenomenal oh he's great yeah like just so good and you like You feel his rage, you feel his pain, you feel his joy. Um, But I would say that like if you haven't seen a silent film and you're kind of concerned about... Because acting was very broad, it had to be, because you didn't have dialogue to lean on. Of course, you have some text on the screen to kind of help you along in the story, but in general, it's all done by facial expressions and body movements, and acting was a totally different art form than it is now. Um, Now it's all about subtlety and micro expressions. And back then, like you had to know he was happy. You had to know she was sad. You had to know they were in danger. But man, like after you get over that little bit, like that little hurdle, like as was talked about in recent kind of awards ceremonies, this idea of like getting over subtitles, the same thing here. Getting over the lack of sound, but you can be really rewarded here, and I felt really rewarded finally watching Sunrise. Uh, Murnau is a, a name that I know, but this was the first film of his i had ever seen. Oh my! Um, yeah, so this was my introduction to to his to Murnau's work, and um, and I felt really rewarded by that. And this was a movie like I'd never heard of; I didn't know anything about it going in. So, but this is, you know, as someone who likes the artistic films, this is like, this is right up my alley, man. Like, this was a great place for me to start with this podcast.
0: Yeah. I mean, he he really is a, he had a short filmography. He's done, uh, he did uh, 21 films, but there certainly were a lot of films that uh, are iconic. That, that meant a lot and unfortunately given the era that he was making films a lot of them have been lost to time but a film like Nosferatu is such a powerful impressive film and uh,
1: oh okay I've seen that I lied I lied I've seen that one I didn't know that was Renau so, yeah yeah.
0: but uh, you know there's there's so much he's one of those initial creators of the language of cinema he started uh, you know at, the, at the, the ground of cinema and as such he managed to help form what cinema would be what there what the language would be for people to understand and appreciate going forward and I think that you know Sunrise I've seen multiple times it's one of my favorite films I was fortunate enough uh for my first viewing to watch it in the cinema and see it on the big screen and just oh, wow. let it wash over you and it is a really impressive film in that way that you just get yourself lost in it and you're immersed in this particular story and I love that quite a lot um But I found, again, on rewatch, like, it had been a few years since I'd seen it. And I'd forgotten that the beginning of the film starts with a woman telling a man to kill his wife. And I forgot that that was the... Great! I forgot that that was the part. (laughs) Welcome. For a moment there, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, this is, this is like, this is not the film that I remember it to be. Um, but then, of course, it is the film I remember to be. It is that love story. And it is so much of that, that just it builds and builds and builds and shows the importance of uh, nonverbal language, nonverbal dialogue is so important. And I think that that is, the, that is what, for me, makes Sunrise such an important film, is that, yeah, there is a bit of a stage play aspect to it. But there is a stage play aspect to a lot of... Uh, silent films. There was a lot of overacting and enunciating of emotions via overaction and moving of arms and arch eyebrows and stuff like that. There was, there was a lot of that kind of stuff, but it works and it works because the form and the system that is set up for these films to work, uh, assist it, assists those kinds of performances. And it, it allows for those performances to have a bit of space. And, um, I just couldn't imagine a film like this with dialogue. I couldn't imagine hearing these two characters talk. It just wouldn't feel the same at all. And in comparison to Wings as well, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, but in Wings, there is dialogue in between people, uh, but that's the the intertitles where the dialogue takes place. And so we almost have a voice for the people uh, presented there and there is dialogue in sunrise but it's not to the the extent that it is in wings um but
1: yeah it's very minimal yeah mm-hmm.
0: and at least we're allowed to see from uh you know a, a bit of a step back uh this relationship find its ground and find its footing again and we're allowed to have empathy for both of the characters and and we're invited to empathize with him Especially. And in one particular moment where we're, where we're given the opportunity to uh, earn that empathy with him is a beautiful moment where she is, the wife is not so taken by his beard. And so it's like, why don't we go to a barbershop and you have a (laughs) shave? And, As he's having a shave, a woman comes along and she's looking at the woman going, oh, no. And he pushes her away. And then as she's waiting for him to get his shave done, a man comes along and tries to hit on her. And it's amazing watching that moment, how um, you learn a lot just in those couple of minutes of masculine body language. Because I've seen that exact uh, attempt to hit on women done now. And you know, we're almost a hundred years on. And it's like, guys, can you not be so creepy and and disturbing? (laughs) But that's the point where he's able to stand up and for his wife and, and kind of earn the trust and love of his wife. Once again, What, what did you think of that moment? Yeah. I mean, it
1: really works. It's, it's, it's just really phenomenal. Like from, from minute one to minute 94, like there's not, there's not a weak link. There's not a weak moment. The thing I was most struck by is the filmmaking technique Uh, because it is an allegory and it is all about good and evil within a single human being from the beginning of the movie. Like it is like, I mean, it's shot like a horror movie. Like it is dark. There's mist there. You can't quite see what's going on. Everything to from the dark eye makeup to this like supposed evil woman from the city. And then as the film goes on, you can see everything lighten up as the mood of the man and the woman lighten, as does the film. And this, like you mentioned, uh, Murnau, like kind of creating the language of cinema. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of directors now who could look at this work and learn something. And that's saying something that's, we're almost, as you mentioned, almost 100 years on. And there's, I think because you didn't have that dialogue to lean on, you had to use visual language impeccably to make a great film. In 1927, you everything has to come through exactly the way you want it to. You can't you can't take a scene off. You can't have a bad take. Everything has to be pitch perfect. And Sunrise kind of really is like, is it is it subtle? No, but it's not trying to be. You know, are are the characters necessarily realistic? No, but it's an allegory. It's about human nature. It's about good and evil. It's about the choices we make and can we come back from terrible choices? And of course, this is an extreme version of this. Like the choice to essentially attempt to kill his wife. Um, and that scene is legitimately terrifying. By the oh, way, yeah. that scene like on the <laughs> lake or on the river. It is like as I'm watching it, I I because I knew nothing about this movie. I was like, oh, he's like gonna kill her kill her like this it's it's about to get really dark so when it takes that turn and she runs off and he goes and you know tries to get her back and they have this day together it's amazing how much changes in the audience's mood too like i found myself feeling lighter as they're like going through the city and that sequence that you mentioned of them walking through the street kind of un- blissfully unaware of the world around them it's like one of the most beautiful scenes i've ever seen put
0: on film it really is
1: like i was just like yeah i was like that that right there is the insanity of love that is what it feels like Like no, you're not necessarily going to walk and put yourself in danger, but you're so unaware of everything else that is going on, and all that matters is that moment with that person, and that that moment on film really exemplifies that. And they do it, of course, without words, you know, almost without you know, not a lot of music in the background, just kind of these two floating people going across the street, and I was like, wow, you got it. That's it. That's that feeling. Anyone who's ever been in love knows that exact feeling. And that just like emanates from the screen 90 something years later.
0: Mm. I, I want to talk about uh, another moment as well later on in the film where this beautiful, it's kind of, uh, in a way, I guess uh, you could call it uh, Chekhov's read life boy kind of thing. <laughs> life, say, you know, life best in a way. So at the beginning of the film, um, the, the woman who basically says, you know, kill your wife, suggests, look, you, you know, capsize the boat and then you can use this bundle of reeds uh, to float yourself to safety. And you don't think about it much then because uh, in that moment where he does try and kill his wife, the bundle of reeds is there and you're like, okay, that's we're never going to see that again. And then fortuitously at the end, as they're coming back home after their, their day out and their night at the carnival and all this kind of stuff and this excitement, this storm hits, which is one of the most terrifying storms I've seen on film. And the boat is in peril. It's it's, it's ruined. And he manages to get to safety and his wife is gone. And then finally she is found holding on to the thing that he was supposed to save him. And that's what I love is that the thing that does save him is his wife and the thing that was the physical thing that was supposed to save him was this bundle of reeds. and you know, it is an allegory and all this kind of stuff, but it's such a powerful thing that you don't think about on a conscious level while you're watching the film. You don't go, ah, oh, I see what he's doing. You watch it, you have it impact you. And then afterwards you're like, Oh, I get it now. Um, but what did you feel of that climax? Because that to me, like there, there are so many moments about this film, is, which is why this film matters and why it's important that uh, I think that we highlight the fact that it did win this particular award. Um, but I think that climax is also one of the, the more important elements as well. We, that, that gets forgotten alongside everything else uh-huh. about this film when discussed about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot going on in that climax. One of the things is, you know, <laughs> I was watching it like, don't do this to me. Do not kill this woman after all this. <laughs> I will be so mad if, he, if like he finally realizes how great she is and how important she is and how important their love is. And then she's ripped away because of, you know, because of, you know, essentially like the storm is not his fault, but, you know, mistakes that he has made like he he did go out to kill her, like let's be real. this is not the perfect you know this is not the perfect man. This is not your model of masculinity necessarily. But I was like, please don't do this and I, but I also think you know you mentioned kind of the Chekhov, Chekhov's gun type thing, which has become so prevalent in film, especially to the point that like if you watch a lot of movies, like you can kind of pick out like, oh, that's definitely coming back like we'll be we'll be revisiting that weapon or that thing like it's gonna come back. But it's actually done more creatively here than in modern films. Like, I did not see that coming at all, that that was going to be the thing that saved her. Because even in, like, 90 minutes, you go on such a journey with these two people, and you feel that love and that floating aspect that we kind of talked about already. And you're, like, lulled into this false sense of security. Like, oh, everything's going to be fine. It's going to be great. And then the storm happens, and you're like, oh. And it's, it's that example of, like... When you, when you fall in love with someone, when you feel that so deeply, and not only like this lifetime love where you're married, but like this passion, right? You forget about everything else. And as an audience, we do too. We forget about storms and we forget about real life. We just think about like walking through the city with your, with your beautiful bride and everything is wonderful. And Murnau like brings everything literally crashing down in that moment in the storm. Um, and I felt this like palpable sense of fear when it's happening and you feel his relief when she's, when she survives too, you get all of it. And that, like that bundle of reeds, man, like what an ingenious, uh, invention to save her life. Like the thing that he was going to use essentially to get away from murdering her is the thing that she holds onto and the reason she's able to survive and the, and becomes, it's interesting that bundle of reeds was going to be the reason for his happiness in whatever direction he went. If he decided to go with a girl from the city and kill his wife, that bundle of reeds brings him to safety and it gives him an excuse in how he survived. And in this case, he re-falls in love with this woman and... That is the thing that saves her, which is the key to his happiness. It's poetic. It's beautiful. This is why this deserves not only to be remembered, but to get that award for like kind of artistic vision because it really, really fits.
0: Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree more. And I and that's one of the things I find interesting about this particular Academy Awards as well is that um, there are a few, as most things when they're, they're starting off and they're finding their ground and not... Entirely understanding um, what, what what things are going to actually Stick in stone and stuff like that So some of the awards which they gave out Were the only films To, like Sunrise was the only Film to win this best unique and artistic Prize um, uh, Wings is the only film to win The best engineering effects Award um, So that's something important there And then at the same time ta- On the same time uh, uh, The special award was given to Charlie Chaplin for uh, Best Actor, Best Writer, Best Director, and Best Comedy for the Circus. Uh, So, you know, and it was also, you know, to recognise his contribution to the industry as well. And that in itself is like, you know, they didn't do that again too. So it's almost apt that a film like Sunrise is the sole winner of this award. Like it just feels, it feels right. Because yes, as we were mentioning earlier, it would be great to see a film like Avatar maybe have carried on this legacy as being unique and artistic film, because I would have loved to have seen the conversation about what is the most unique and artistic film out there. Maybe there might've been some avant-garde films or experimental films winning. That would have been really interesting. But then again, it's also apt again that sunrise is the winner. Um, So I think we're both in agreement that this does matter. It is important. And we do care about this particular film. It's it, it's a vital piece of uh, film history, and I'm glad that they awarded it because um, I think on on uh, you know quality alone, it should stand up to the test of time. And for a long period of time, it is considered one of the best films of all time. But unfortunately, it appears to be just another victim of the discussion about film and fading away in discussions. Uh, unfortunately. You know, films from the nineteen twenties and thirties haven't been discussed as much as they probably should have. And I believe that Sunrise should re-enter into the conversation. It is that important.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it's, you know, I, I think if anything, this is this is one of the films that really really highlights why uh, awards do matter on this show called Awards Don't Matter. Um, is the idea that like if this had never won that award I, pro- I may have never watched it, right? But because it won this award and won an Oscar, I'm like, okay, you know, there's got to be something good about it. I'll check it out. I'll watch it for this podcast. And like, I'm so glad I did. Like, this is, this was a very moving kind of wonderful experience to sit down and watch Sunrise. And, you know, it's easy to negate people who are like, well, I don't want to watch silent films or I don't want to watch films with subtitles, but it is, it is a harder buy-in, it is a different level of focus that you need, especially in the times we live in now. But I think Sunrise really rewards that focus. Mm.
0: So to me, it was, we'll move on to discussing Wings in a second, but I want to raise this question as a lead into that, that film. Do you find that with Sunrise and with Wings as well, that the Academy Awards were setting a precedent for what they expected to be the quality of film to win this particular award? Um, because for me, watching both of these films, they're both great, and certainly in the the case of Sunrise, it's a masterpiece in my opinion. Wings is darn great. It's it's a very entertaining, very exciting film, and from my perspective, at least, this is the Academy saying this kind of uh, emotional experience, this kind of thrill, is what we want for the films going forward to win Best Picture. Do do you see this as being a template? For them going forward,
1: I mean, yes, I think I think anytime you do a first ceremony of any any kind, I think there is a tendency to like, okay, here's what you need to here's what you need to accomplish. This is this is what we're looking for. Um, I would be more apt to truly believe that if they had kept these two awards going concurrently past 1928, um, because I think I think it's interesting to reward two movies to start that are. That are very different. They're very different movies. Um, We'll talk about Wings, but Wings is much more of a crowd pleaser and Sunrise is much more challenging. Um, So it creates an interesting dichotomy of the two types of movies that they're interested in. And I think, honestly, that has stuck through till now. I think these are the two types of movies that the Academy still rewards is the the art house picture, the thing that challenges you as a viewer and the thing that is just like overwhelms you as a viewer. Like, oh, my God, what an experience, you know, and that's what we'll get with Wing. So, yeah, I feel like, you know, 1927, 1928 has weirdly led us to the 2020s. Uh, even looking back, even though the movies and stylistically are so different than films are now, of course, because of the silent aspect, still those
0: two different types of movies in general, that is what we still reward. Mm. So I just want to mention the other awards that Sunrise won as well quickly too, um, because I think that is important to discuss in, in this conversation uh, as to what they they did also win. So Janet Gainor, as I mentioned, won Best Actress. She uh, also at the same time, they... they I, I like this and we're not obviously going to talk about best actor and best actress winners uh, all that much. But I think that this particular aspect is quite interesting that she didn't just win for sunrise, but she won also for street angel and seventh heaven. Uh, and sunrise also won best. Oh yeah. Cause Christ back then well.
1: they did it. Yeah. Cause back then they did actor as like, you know, all the work you did for the year, which is an interesting way to do it. Actually. Um, I, there are times when, I, I'm kind of glad we've changed that and it's just for one performance but there have been years where someone has had like such just such an amazing year that you're like like um, I'm blanking on his name now but the guy who played um, the uh, the father in um, uh, Michael
0: Stuhlbag. Uh
1: in Call Me By Your Name yeah he had like that year he was in like four movies and they were all tremendous performances and it did make me kind of wish like can't we have a reward for like i don't know best work of (laughs) whatever year because like there are some years where like okay maybe i could see how that wouldn't win for just that movie but look at everything he did in that Mm. year pretty incredible stuff
0: yeah and then heading into wings wings won best uh best picture and it also won best engineering effects and that's it it won two awards it wasn't even nominated for Best Director. It was the first film to win Outstanding Picture slash Best Picture. Uh, and it was also the first film to do it uh, without a Best Director win. And that didn't repeat again until uh, Driving Miss Daisy. And then that didn't repeat again until Argo. And then it didn't repeat until Green Book. But, uh, you know, we'll get onto that later on. But it's... See, but
1: this is, this is the ultimate definition of how it's a crowd pleaser. Essentially, if you put that in modern hmm. context, that's like, it won Best Picture and Best Special Effects. Yes. Yeah. Like that's, that's mad. <laughs> that is the perfect crowd place crowd pleaser film.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is just, it's just insane that that's the case. It's like, you know, it's, um, it, there is so much to this film that should have been recognized a lot more, but on the same hand, you can also almost respect it just for being like, just for being the, the crowd pleasing win. Um, and, I find it interesting that it wasn't nominated for Best Director, but then again, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, Maybe they just went on the quality of the film itself. Is that important that it didn't get nominated for Best Director? Um, I don't know. I don't think it is that important. But for me, again, I found Wings very, very entertaining. So it is a film that is about, it's also a silent film, um, and it's the, uh, alongside Sunrise, it's the only true silent film to win Best Picture. Uh, we'll talk about the artist when we get to there, but that's not a silent film in my opinion. Um, but it is just a... Wings is a very exciting film. Uh, it's about World War One, and it's about... It's a love story. At its core, it's a love story. And it's about these two guys who are sent off to go and fight in World War I. It's like a love
1: story between two men. Yeah. Yes. Yes, <laughs> very much so.
0: Um, and, you know... One guy has a crush on another woman, and uh, that woman has a crush on the other man. And then uh, tangential to all this is Clara Bow as Mary Preston, and she has a crush on that guy who has a crush on the other girl. Uh, they do have names. It is uh, Charles Rogers as Jack Powell and uh, Richard Arlen as David Armstrong. And uh, Buddy Rogers is the guy who basically he, um, yeah, he wants to be a pilot. And uh, they they end up heading off to World War One and flying and fighting in the air force in some of the most exciting uh, battle sequences, well I've ever seen. Uh, so much so to the point that you know it had me furiously googling to see whether this was stock footage or not, and it's not. It's actual genuine uh, air footage. Um, this is like it's an impressive film. I keep on saying that. And it is an impressive film because it's so in the moment and they took the risk to actually film those flight sequences and actually put planes up in the air with cameras strapped to them. So much so that for the shots where you see the pilot's face, uh, which is the actor who, by the way, both of the actors didn't know how to fly a plane and they were trained to fly planes just for this film, it's insane, Tom Cruise eat your heart out, basically um <laughs> you know it's it's madness, and then on top of that, they had to direct their own takes up in the plane because there was there could be nobody else up in the plane, so they were doing actions to say you know action cut and acting out the whole entire sequence while also flying a plane while also directing a camera. It's mad. what's your feelings on wings,
1: yeah. Um, All right, so to talk about the aerial sequences, because you kind of have to, to. like that is probably the most memorable thing about this movie. Um, I cannot believe this movie was made in 1927. (laughs) Like, I think we have this attitude, especially about special effects, because that is constantly changing and constantly getting better, that we're like, oh, well, if you're going to watch a movie from the 20s or the 30s, or even the 50s, you're going to be like, well, you have to make certain allowances for the time. And like, they couldn't do all this cool stuff. I would say 99% of every other movie that has aerial dogfights should be ashamed of themselves. (laughs) Because this is so much better than just about everything out there. Like, there's a couple, like, there's some, there's some shots in, uh, in the Aviator uh, that Scorsese manages. But, um, like, in general, like, this is some of the most exciting, frightening, like, just moving stuff when it comes to the aerial sequences. I was stunned. Like, I was watching—you know, I'm watching this for free on YouTube, and I'm, like, riveted during these sequences. Nothing feels recycled. Nothing feels fake. Like, this all feels legitimate, and I was— Stunned by by these aerial sequences. I was just like beside myself. Like, I was like, how did they make this in the 1920s? Like, of course, this probably was not the safest way to make it. Like, you bringing up, like, training these guys who have never been in a plane before. Like, okay, now you're going to do it. Have a good time, guys. Uh, but, and it's violent and it's scary. Like, I was just like, uh, like, I could watch, I could have watched double the length of those aerial sequences and been totally entertained. And a lot of times, with battle sequences, particularly in older movies, I'm kind of like, okay, we can we can kind of move on from this. We can get to the, the human drama now. That's fine. Um, but, man, this stuff really works. But so does the human drama. That stuff really works, too. This is reportedly that we know of the first, uh, quote-unquote, same-sex kiss on film. It's not—I don't think it's a romantic kiss. It's, like, it's that— bond that intimacy of 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 brotherhood within men at arms and that stuff all really works fantastically like it does feel like the the romance quote-unquote is like not even secondary but like tertiary like it's just like okay and and it's interesting because the movie starts with as you mentioned this kind of love triangle and she ends up giving her picture to the guy she's not she's not in love with because like She just didn't want him to feel bad, I guess. And, you know, like, so there's all that going on. And you kind of, I kind of expect, okay, these two men are going to hate each other and it's going to be this war for this woman, you know, with the backdrop of actual war in the background. And really that stuff gets like dealt with pretty quickly. And it really becomes about this friendship. And I thought like, wow, that is not what I expected. Like I wouldn't have expected that in 2020 and certainly not in 1927 but it works man these two men like it's just like you really feel that bond they have and it happens so quickly that it could come off in lesser hands of writers and directors as like oh this 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 is a stretch this doesn't make sense but there was never a point where i was watching where i was like oh no these two wouldn't be friends like they did feel like they went through something together of course they first go through something together, beating the hell out of one another, which is totally stereotypical of, you know, the, the men in the army, especially during this time. And I really like that. And that worked. Like, all of that yeah. stuff worked.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that, as you're saying, those those battle sequences are so intense. And so in the moment and so genuine and real, like the, the attack on the town by the bomber and the German bomber and, and its flanking small little planes Oof, is just... Geez. Genuinely powerful, so much so that because the characters work so well, and the character that we're watching in that particular sequence is Clara Bow's character, the it girl of that era, uh, and we get to see her come to this town like as a as a hapless driver for the army and she is in this beautiful moment where she's ignorantly just standing there calling out to this empty town, like, hello, where is anybody? And we already know that this bomber is coming along, and it is, it is is white-knuckle stuff. Like, it is really, really tense. We don't ever think that she's going to die, but we don't know what's going to happen. And the way that it's shot, with genuine buildings getting bombed and destroyed, is, wow. Like, it's just... You know, this this kind of thing wouldn't be made today for starters, but it's also like it feels so real and so genuine that it honors World War One and the people who survived and fought in World War One in a real way. Like there is a camaraderie to the the soldiers who fought in World War One that you know, has certainly been uh compared to other wars in a way, but World War One was such a A massive war. We hadn't seen that kind of war and that kind of destruction in such a mammoth way. And yet, to come out of that alive or to to have those friendships and and bonds forged in that particular time would have been so strong. And this film both honors that kind of relationship and honors the battle as well. Like the, the, the final sequence is just devastating. And so much so that when, you know, one friend accidentally shoots the other and under a a fair reasoning for doing so where he thought that he was shooting a German uh, other plane he thought he was shooting a German plane and that that sequence is just so absolutely devastating and yes it does lead up to that moment where they both kiss but it's like it's not a it's not a sexual moment it is a a moment between two friends and you feel that moment so well because both elements work perfectly that the human element works alongside that battle element and uh, I, I have to applaud them because it's an understanding that it's not just one thing that people are going to see like you can't have a film just of two hours of planes flying around that might be interesting and exciting but you need that human element you need that <laughs> tangible stuff
1: yeah that yeah, that's a great point. Um and I think I think it's kind of mass the human element is kind of uh the human element is masterfully done here. Like even the scene um with uh with Buddy and and Mary in the very beginning with you know them kind of in the car and her like desperately wanting to be with him and trying to go for this and like him being just kind of blissfully unaware that she's she's present at all, like that the comedy of that really works and it's never overdone and I like the fact that they don't They don't rely on anything slapstick after this period. Like it just like is really focused. And you mentioned this friendship and the way it ends and it is brutal. It is brutal to watch. Um, But it's, is it's really noticeable to me because we think of, we think of time as far as we deal with, you know masculinity and manhood and friendship as this being very linear thing we're like well we used to be really regressive about male friendship and we get better and better and better and better and that's clearly not true because i think this this male intimacy is like more real and more genuine and more and has more feeling behind it than a lot of things that we see on film in 2020 like we're scared To admit that we love one another even in the most dire circumstances. And back in the late twenties when supposedly men were men and we're fighting the Great War and all that stuff, they instead of focusing on because I don't think this is even just like modern reinterpretation, um, but this movie does not focus on the love story between the the man and the woman. This focuses on the intimacy between these two men for ninety percent of this two and a half hour long movie. Like the women are barely present. Like if anything, they're more like they're more comedic than romantic, and the men are more. But romantic. in the
0: same hand, you know the the other. Sorry, uh, David knows all along that the girl that that Jack has feelings for is actually not in love with him. She's in love with David, and yet he respects and honors his friend's feelings so much so that you know he's like. This would devastate him if he knew this. I won't tell him because I need him to uh, get through this horrid situation that we're both in. And for him, that is his savior. That is his his shining beacon to help him get back home. And that in itself is just, it's it's really beautiful and powerful. But on the same hand, what I love is that motif of the shooting star that is painted on the car at the beginning by Clara Bow in such a beautiful way. And that just, that becomes a thing throughout the film where the character of Jack becomes known as the shooting star and everybody sees his plan and you're the shooting star and he becomes a figure, this known entity. And it's, it's great how that ties back to her in so many ways. And it's a touching thing. You're never actually consciously thinking of her all the time but she's in your mind uh, just kind of hanging there, thinking about it, that she was the person that did that. And I find this film really fascinating in a lot of ways because it it is the, it presents an alternate future that I I really wish I would have been able to see because this is a film that, yes, it has a same same gender kiss in it, um, but it also has... A topless Clara Bow. There is a moment where you do see her topless. It's very brief, um, but it happens. And yet, not long after this, the, the code was initiated where you couldn't have people kissing for a long period of time. You couldn't have nudity. There couldn't be swearing. You couldn't do all this kind of stuff in film. And yet, the first Best Picture winner... Has those elements in it. <laughs> I, I find that fascinating. Like, it's hilarious. I, I had no idea that there was going to be a, a, a topless Clara Bow in this film, and yet here it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely, definitely. shocking like for the time like i was just like that is not oh, oh, okay no nope, you know no problem with that but i was definitely not expecting that as i sat down to watch the first best picture winner you know it was just like but i think you bring up a great point about um about the interaction between these two men is in a lesser film and even in a modern film i would expect to see uh before they became friends you know him mock his friend like she doesn't really love you look here's my name on the back of the picture all that stuff and that never happens because you know and i like i like the idea that every every pilot has their their little totem you know their good luck and that is his good luck is this picture and he's just like and his friend who this guy who becomes his friend he knows this and like you know there are things more important than than being the one who wins in an argument you know like if, if being the one who wins in this argument leads you to like destroy another human being, maybe you need to take a second look and be like, okay, let me just let this go because she's not here right now. So it doesn't matter. Like we're just trying to survive and live through this, you know, and it, and that's why it makes it, it makes everything all the more heartbreaking when one of our leads dies, you know, it just is brutal. And I think it, You know, it goes back to when we were talking about Sunrise, where that's the great thing about watching these older films that maybe you come in blind to or have never seen. You don't know how it ends, is that, you know, there was a time where, you know, filmmakers were not afraid to kill their darlings, to kill their main characters. So you really never know what's going to happen. Like, as I was starting to watch this movie, it wasn't in my head that like, oh, one of these guys is definitely going to die, I was just like, Oh, well, you know, it's about two heroes. Let's see what happens. So that moment really did take me by surprise and kind of and it it's hurtful like because <laughs> you' you you've become connected especially to these to these two characters. so one one is ripped away from you in such a brutal way. It does really have an impact. And the other thing I noticed, I was just, like, looking at the IMDb, I had no idea that uh, one of the characters is played by Gary Cooper, who became, like, a massive, massive star, you know, star of High Noon and all that. He was one of the cadets, and I was like, oh, look at that. And it also does the thing that a lot of older films do is they use – there's a lot of slapstick comedy, but it's not done by your main character. And I think, you know, unless you're watching a, like, a Charlie Chaplin uh, or Buster Keaton style movie most of the slapstick is going to be done by side characters and, and it is interesting cuz i think that's still that still kind of holds true today in film where we don't really usually unless it's a full on comedy like to mock our main characters so we have like kind of the the side the side characters you know you have this you know, this uh, this guy in the army who's uh, who has a German name and it just becomes this running gag him constantly getting knocked down and knocked out but that comedy still really works for me I was surprised by that because sometimes comedy from decades ago does not hold up but that physical comedy really so still I want does to touch
0: work. on that in a second but I I do I do find the presence of Gary Cooper really interesting here because I'm watching this and when Gary Cooper appears on screen I was like hey that's Gary Cooper it's great to see him on screen and I forgot that you know, this is one <laughs> of his early roles. And from what I read as well, Wings was what made him a star. He's on film for all of about two minutes and then he dies in a training incident as well that we see. Yep. It doesn't occur on screen, but uh, the impact is genuine and tangible. Like we feel it. Uh, so much so that you can, you can plot the through line from Wings to Top Gun following through with something very similar. You know, Top Gun is following a very, very similar motif to this. And so is uh, Pearl Harbor as well. And I, oh, I, yeah. I you know, mm-hmm. hate to bring up Pearl Harbor in this regard, but that is the film that kept on ringing through in my mind that I'm like, <laughs> okay, now I understand. Like, this is what, this is the film that Michael Bay watched when he was making Pearl Harbor. He wanted to make the modern version of Wings And he failed dismally, but it goes to show how important a film like this is and how difficult it is to make. Um, But yeah, I do want to touch on that character uh, who is, he has the the surname of Schwimpf. And now this is maybe me reading a little bit too much in it, but I found it really interesting uh, from a modern perspective. And this is modern eyes lensing onto this film whether they felt the same way about Wings uh, and this particular character to, at the time or not, I'm not sure. But I found it really interesting to see how far back devout patriotism went. Because, yes, he is has a German name, um, but, you know, as he proudly shows throughout the film, he has a tattoo of the American flag on him and stuff like that. And uh, it's amusing in a way, but it's also a bit like... Maybe it shows to me the uh, willing xenophobia of America in some regards. Like, oh, this guy sounds like a foreigner, so therefore he might be a threat, even though he's trying to enlist with us and fight against the people that his name suggests he should be with. Um, And I found that really interesting in the way that they treat that character, that he is the subject of a lot of pratfalls. He is uh, continually knocked out in certain ways and, and... Treated as the Butter for Joke. Um, maybe I'm reading a bit too much into it, but I found that perspective interesting, almost as if the director was saying, look, yeah, I know he has a German surname, but look, we're actually kind of laughing at him uh, rather than with him and anything else. It's the only element of Wings that I felt a little bit, not crash hot with, but everything else kind of makes up for it. And it's not a major part of it. It's a, it's a fairly low part of it, but it's still... Left me with a bit of a uh, that that initial those initial scenes don't feel great. A- am I being a bit too precious?
1: Maybe. Um, I I think there's a couple. No, I think there's a couple different ways to take it. I think the way you're taking it is totally valid. I took it a little more positively in that I think it's it's shining a light on how difficult it is to be someone who doesn't appear American and the lengths he has to go to to prove to people like that, you know, it's a funny moment that's repeated, but that tattoo of the American flag. And if you, you know, if you are someone who doesn't quote unquote appear as American, which just means doesn't appear as, you know, in our times now, it doesn't appear as white. Then you have to take extra steps to let people know. And I, you know, and yes, there are certainly moments where it's like, okay, do we have to keep going back to the well here? But like, I don't know, I think it works. And I think it's done in a, in a genuinely kind of humorous and kind way. Like, I don't think, I don't think we are just constantly like rooting for him to die or rooting for him to get beat up, but it is like this, you know, returning motif. Um, So I think there's two ways to look at it. The like, we're just openly mocking someone who's not from here and taking a look at like what it would mean to fight for something you believe, even if the people around you don't really buy it because of your last name. Because that is is a reality, especially during the 1920s, that if you had a German surname and in, you know, the 1940s, if you had a German surname, you were not going to be looked at kindly. Um, and he keeps coming back and keeps doing the right thing. So he came to across to me as kind of an honorable character, but I can definitely see the other side of it.
0: Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm curious as well, because there's a I I look at, you know, there are certain modern films that came to mind when I was watching Wings, and... Uh, some of them were like World Trade Center for example and United 93 and I remember watching those films and the discussion around those particular films at the time was too soon is it too soon for this kind of film uh, and certainly even now almost 20 years removed from um, those tragic events on 9-11 the question of too soon is raised when films discuss that particular event and yet Wings, for example, takes place, you know, it was filmed less than 10 years after the end of World War One, And it does so in a, uh, you know, in a dark manner with death and respectfully so, but then also in a light manner too. And I do wonder if the discussion would have been, is this too soon to have this kind of film? I know there were more than a few films at this point that were about World War One, but... It is impressive to see a country work to heal after such a mammoth event through something that is not oppressively maudlin and uh, dark. Because it is a, it is an honour to be able to see that. Um, well, it's respectfully a way of seeing that. Yes, throughout all the darkness, there doesn't there wasn't an entirety of darkness. There was light there too, and that's what I think that Wings does. Um, do you think that this might have been too soon or whether they, they were they were possibly being a little bit too uh, hurried to try and tell this kind of story?
1: No, uh, I don't think it was too soon. And I think, I think this is an example of, like when you say too soon for something like this, this is an example of us putting our 2020 eyes on something in 1927. And here's why, is that in the 1920s, even the 1940s or 50s, patriotism was fine and uh being involved in these wars felt like the right thing to do i think everything after vietnam vietnam changed everything as far as the way we look at war the way we look at politics the way we look at politicians there is now a lack of trust and a feeling like we don't understand why we're making these steps why we're doing the things we're doing as a country and as a world and that didn't exist in the late 1920s the late 1920s our war heroes were heroes and it was comfortable and it was weirdly simple so shining a light on these great men who gave up in some cases gave up everything for their country would not have felt like a risk whereas if you made a movie you know 2 years after we left vietnam it would be like uh what's not uh a lot of people died uh veterans were treated like shit when they got home Let's let's not go there. Let's take some time and figure out like what we really think about this. Because in the 1920s through the 1950s, uh, for better or worse, wars were seen as pretty simple. We're the good guys. We're doing the right thing, and here's why we're doing it. Roll camera. You know what I mean. So I think. But now the world is so much more. The world was always complex, but now it is known just how complex it is. So it feels like uh, maybe we shouldn't really touch that and i think i think nine eleven is a whole different thing the world trade center is a whole different thing because you know these are not people who signed up to go fight right so it's, there's a little extra there's a little extra ickiness to that where it's like oh i don't know that we should be using this tragedy and the these people's deaths you know to to make a movie to make a point to make some money like that feels inappropriate to me uh which is why i still haven't seen any of the movies about 9 11 because i like i lived through that like i don't it's, I, it's it's weirdly like for me it's like so long ago but it's still too soon i'm like i don't i don't need that in my life like <laughs> i don't need to go right i'm sure some of these movies are really great but like and i think there's there's also a, you know, there's a time difference. If it's something you lived through or had friends that died in, it's like, it's a different experience to watch it than if it's something totally foreign to you.
0: But on the same hand, and I am I think that this is something when we get up to films like Platoon and Forrest Gump as well that do talk about Vietnam War and in... in completely different ways um <laughs> yes i'm curious yeah <laughs> i'm very curious uh about the fact that you know that was that was the war that came to people's homes people watched that war at home and everything from then on was televised we we have immediacy we have uh repeated imagery bombarded on us day in day and day out and that's that is uh true of 9-11 in the same sense that you know you can't go a day without having some kind of 9-11 imagery nearby. It's, it is continually there. And I wonder in that regard, because of the fact that wings was at a time where people didn't have access to footage of world war one at all, uh, or, you know, understanding of what was going on in the front lines at all. There was no footage of people being gassed or planes or anything like that. There was no footage of, bombed out buildings or anything. So the disconnection for people at home was probably not as strong as it was for um, soldiers, certainly. But there was still that idolization of the soldier. There was still that idolization of the person who was able to sign up and uh, be respected and come back a hero. It's, it's There is a, a clear distinction, as you're saying, a clear distinction between... Uh, the soldiers of World War One versus the soldiers of Vietnam. And and that's something we'll discuss as we go along is, um, you know, I, I find it really fascinating as I was talking to a few people about uh, Best Picture Winners and one of the questions that was perpetually raised up was, what is the fascination that the Academy Awards has with films about war? What What is their interest in films about war? Uh, because there are so many films about war, winning best picture you have wings of course you have um uh i can't remember the title of it but it's in a couple of uh in a couple of um films films time but that one um <laughs> which I'll, I'll bring up in a second and then you've got the hurt locker most recently return of the king of course uh and then uh platoon uh, the deer hunter as well you know all of these films um
1: Oh, were you thinking of All Quiet on the Western
0: Front? All Quiet on front? the that's Western the... Front. Thank you very much. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, I was thinking of All the President's Men, but that's not about war. Um, mm, not quite. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but 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 that's, that's a thing which I personally am going to keep in mind as we watch these films that are about war. I'm curious about what the relationship that uh, the Academy Awards has to war because uh, the two genres which seem to be really overpopulated in the best picture category are war and musicals. And I think, you know, specifically when we're talking about sunrise and wings, they're two very different films. Um, Sunrise is naturally not a musical, but it's a little bit more. um, There are, there are more jovial elements than most dramas have. And I find that aspect interesting in the sense that are we talking about a really uplifting film? Versus a really depressing film. I'm curious about that contrast.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I, I think I have, I have an inkling in why those two seem to get a lot of mention in the academy. I think you know the academy tends to go for extremity of emotion, and both of those types of films offer that. Um, In terms of war films, you're going to have people in the most dire situations of their lives who are going to be doing things that are difficult for them and going through emotions they've never gone through. And musicals as a genre... I was just thinking about this like as we're recording this in 2020 because like weirdly I've been listening to a lot of musicals that's been like my comfort through this and I think a lot of it's because musicals because of the style because of the music and everything else it lends itself to high emotion whether it be tragedy or marriage or happiness like it just lends itself to these high highs and low lows and I think you know sometimes in Academy Award winning films you have a lack of subtlety you have like just going for the gusto and i think war films and musicals both both have those aspects but i think it will be interesting to kind of go through these and find you know find the common the common strings here but i think you're also right that it's almost it was almost easier to make a movie like this than it is to make something like like platoon because no one can call you on your shit no one could say well that didn't happen Because we didn't have TV beaming into our homes, we didn't know what was going on. All we knew was like, "No, this person came back alive," and this is the story they told. Or my best friend died, and you know we have the after effects, but we don't have the we have the before and we have the after. We're missing the during, and film gives us a version of the during that may or may not be true. But it's it's this one in particular is a very nice version of it.
0: Yeah. So there's a couple more things uh, about this film that I do want to discuss but I think that, I think that you bring up an interesting point that, you know, there's nobody to call them out on, on this particular film about this, but on the same hand, it is still dedicated to the realism and the violence on that went in mm-hmm. war. Like there is death there. There is, you know, shots of, you know, it's, it's 1920 style violence. So it's not, you know, torn limbs or anything like that, but there are guys getting shot in the neck and, coughing up blood and that in itself is really impressive. Now the blood is just chocolate syrup, but it looks effective and it looks impressive. Mm. And then another moment which brought home the reality of how flimsy these planes are is there is a shot, which is a fleeting shot where one of the pilots goes across to, I believe it's a German plane and cuts off the German uh, symbol on the tail of the plane with a knife now you're expecting wood or something like that, but this plane's essentially, for the most part, fabric in some ways, um, and it just goes to show how flimsy and how light these things were, and how uh, you know they were they were prone to just um, being torn to shreds by bullets, which I, I was surprised by. I, I was really impressed by that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the point about you know that there is violence and there is death and there is innards and all that stuff, even though it's dedicated to, you know, these men who fought in this war. I think I think it's impossible to have that level of heroism without a cost. Um, I think if you just have a movie where like they're relatively successful and no one, none of your main characters dies and no, no one suffers, then I think it does a dishonor to the people who fought and were injured or fought and died in this war. Like, you have to have that risk. Like, we talk about all the time movies made now, like, you know, especially the big kind of, like, CGI spectacle movies of, like, well, I just didn't feel like there was any risk. I was never really worried for the characters. You have to have something to lose. And I think this movie is a perfect example of handling that just right. Um, Where it's it's not a movie where, like, You know, there are some war movies where you're like, oh, my God, if one more person I like dies, I just can't take it. Like, this is too much. This is too, too dour. And this, like, still, even though there's death and violence surrounding them, it manages to keep a lightness and a respect for for the people who fought and died in this war. And I think it's just kind of, it's balanced just correctly. But again, I think if we knew more about what actually happened, I don't know that you could keep it this light. Like, you know, you know, one of your your favorite movies, um, Saving Private Ryan, like is kind of known, especially for that opening sequence where it's just really, really violent. But if you take that out, it's kind of like, okay, are we are we sanitizing the awfulness that happened? But back then in 1927, we didn't really know how bad it was. So it was like, okay, this seems like a nice but also mildly realistic version of it. So I think it it works.
0: Um, So we'd be remiss to not talk about one of the most important shots in cinema, which is in Wings, Uh, and it's a shot which I had seen multiple times prior to actually watching the film, Um, and it's a shot that comes in a downtime in between, uh, where the soldiers, the American soldiers, are afforded a moment of respite in Paris, and they're afforded a little bit of luxury of uh, allowing to catch some booze and try and schmooze with some women and it's a it's an amusing moment especially because the american soldiers are riding along and steal the hats off people and wear them um which is mildly obnoxious but it's also kind of charming in a way um but the shot is of jack uh it's a shot which everybody has seen i hope um and if not i'll stick it in the show notes where a camera tracks along through people a crowd of people sitting at tables and as the, the camera moves along they pull back and we get closer and closer and closer to Jack downing a glass of champagne and it's an impressive shot. And to me, this is why wings matters alongside the, um, the, the, the film, uh, the film flight sequences and stuff like that, which are unfairly uh, lost in the discussion when it comes to wings in place of this particular shot. Everybody seems to talk about this one shot of wings, which is impressive but those aerial shots are equally impressive. Um, what was your impression of this shot? And had you seen it as uh, before, or had you seen it and not known where it came from before?
1: That I had seen it and not known where it came from. It's the only the only shot I've ever seen of wings before sitting down to watch it. And I was, and I remember being stunned by this shot before. Like just how, even though like clearly it's from an older film, like just how modern it feels in terms of movement. Like we do have this perspective of like, well, older films, like we didn't really, and some of this is true, right? We didn't have the techniques that we have. We didn't have the technology. Like if you look at some of like, for instance, like if you look at behind the scenes stuff of like amazing cinematographers and all the lighting that they have access to and all the, like, I think I remember seeing shots of um, the lighting used for Blade Runner 2049. For instance which of course you know features you know maybe the greatest cinematographer ever to live um in Richard Deakins and it but it's just like I mean it's like thousands of light sources and you're like what what are you doing so sometimes there are things that couldn't be done in 1927 1928 so it's interesting to watch some of the things that can be done like just getting the pure scope of of that scene and kind of the the romance of the champagne and and it's like you do need that lightness and i i think i think it's one of those scenes that you know if you're looking at it from a completely like script level like is it totally necessary to the story to the plot maybe not but you need it and if you take that away then this film kind of borders on you know kind of like violence porn and just like oh the shots of the planes and people dying and, ugh, and the bombing and everything is terrible so you need these little moments and it's a beautiful little moment you know it's you know even the moment with them like stealing the hats which i could see someone finding that obnoxious like the hat, all of this oh, yeah, is like so yeah. endearing um and you just get like a full picture of these men as men and not just as soldiers uh, and I think that's yeah. important. And
0: I, I look like at this. it, you know, and in, in certainly in comparison to sunrise with that, that shot that we, we talked about that romance shot, this particular shot as well, just goes to show how much camera technique and how much uh, the external aspects of a narrative and a performance goes to amplify the emotions or the feelings within a scene. And, and that's what I've learned a lot from silent films. Now, I haven't watched as many as I would hoped I would have, but I've certainly seen a fair few and there is a bit of an inventiveness in what's going on on screen. And you watch the films of Charlie Chaplin, for example, or Buster Keaton, where they are propulsive. They need a certain energy on the screen to be able to create an emotion. And that's what we see here. And that's what we see in Sunrise, that the camera is there to be able to create an energy and an emotion within the film that evokes what, the character is going through. You feel as that camera is swooping in through all those people, you feel the excitement and the energy that Jack is feeling in that, that time of reprieve. I'm away from the war. I'm able to actually enjoy life just a little bit. And I'm going to down some bubbles and sure. The bubble sequence is probably a little bit on the nose, but it's charming and it's sweet and it works. And I like it. And it's all because of that particular shot. That shot leads you into his emotions so perfectly. And it it, it teaches, you know, there's it's a reason why people see it so much. is because it teaches people so much about the value of uh, camera and the value of language within cinema. And you get so much from it and you earn so many emotions from it as well. And that's why this film is important. This is why it matters. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It is so interesting. Like you watch a shot like that. Like if you just watch that shot and it's a wings, you know, parentheses 1929, like, and that was your only, your only connection to it. And you watch this movie, this movie would definitely (laughs) not be what you expect. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not, it's not a silly movie. It's not just like romance and fun. Like, it's so interesting. Like what, what scenes become iconic for certain movies and how limiting that can be but also how impressive that can be because that shot you can you can view in a vacuum and just be like wow there's some impressive filmmaking so
0: we've here. talked about both uh, sunrise and wings for quite a bit and taken up a lot of time and appreciate everybody who's listening to this episode but we're going to lead up to the question uh, which we're both kind of answered already throughout this is that for both of these films do the awards matter for both sunrise and wings do they matter uh for me, definitely a yes for both of both of them. I think they are valuable and important, and uh again, part of the reason for doing this podcast is to be able to reintroduce audiences and listeners to both of these films to hope that you know their eyes are opened up to a bit of film history that they either were aware of and had never engaged with and maybe I know that certainly with uh films that are silent films or black and white films, it can feel a little bit daunting. Uh, or scary to be able to go back to those films because they're so unfamiliar. But hopefully, uh, our discussions, even though they have been spoiler filled, and all of our discussions will be spoiler filled, but they, uh, you know, hopefully they open up people's eyes and ears to these kinds of films and you feel a little bit more comfortable in being able to approach them. Because I certainly think that it is valuable to have seen both Wings and Sunrise to get an appreciation of the Academy Awards history, and film history as a whole. Uh, What about you, Dave?
1: Yeah, see, I thought you were going to ask, like, which movie is better, um, which is Sunrise. But it's Sunrise. It's Sunrise. It's fine. It's Sunrise. It's incredible. Uh, Wings is still very, very good. Like, this is... It's amazing to me, like, thinking about... Like, you had mentioned, like, are these movies... Are they, you know, kind of the template for moving forward? And if they are, like, what a pair. Oh, my God. Like, these are both tremendous films i think one one frankly is kind of a work of genius and i'm still i watched it a couple days ago and i'm still not over it like the images are still in my head and then the other one wings is pretty fantastic like and i think they're both important and memorable in very different ways sunrise is a film that i feel like um this style of film at least could be made at any time and it still works which is not true for a lot of movies like i think even though like you could pull this out of 1927 um good and evil love and hate like these are things that are human and will always matter um but it may be accomplished better in 1927 than maybe we've ever seen again which is a pretty staggering thing to think and think to say but really like, I'm just kind of stunned by it. And Wings, um, for very different reasons, matters. I mean, we kind of, we talked at length about these aerial sequences, but still, like, you could watch, the, again, you could watch that in a vacuum and just be truly impressed by it, even with 2020 eyes. Um, and also, like, taking a look at human relationships, that especially especially between two men, two very masculine men, two men who are in the armed forces and yet still care for one another and do right by one another even in the face of death. And that is that is a powerful thing. So I think both of these movies are worth remembering and worth caring
0: about. Um so that is it. That's the first uh discussion episode of Awards Don't Matter where we discussed, as you know, Sunrise and Wings. Um Thank you very much for joining us on this journey. It's been very interesting. Uh, It's been a really interesting discussion. This is exactly the kind of discussion that I hope we would have about these films and about the Academy Awards in general. yeah, it's all well, downhill from here buddy <laughs> Yeah, look, I haven't watched the next film that we're going to be discussing um, but the next film, the second uh, best picture winner is The Broadway Melody well that's what we're going to be discussing on the next episode which will come in a month's time, uh, so again thank you everybody for listening and make sure to, uh, because we're a new podcast we would greatly appreciate some reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the podcast, it would be fantastic that would be great, uh, and if If there are any communication, um, then hit us up on social media. We don't have a social media as of time recording, but I'll make sure to put that into the show notes. Um, That is pre-planning for you folks. But where can people find you in in regards to where you can badger me about um, uh, why doesn't that guy have a social media profile set up for the show yet already? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, you can find uh my social media, which is always active, sadly. Um on Twitter, of course, at Dave A Gianini, G-I-A-N-N-I-N-I.
0: And you can find me at the Curb A-U- uh, and again, I'll, I'll drop a link in the show notes for our social media profile and email address for when that happens um, but yeah, thank you very much for listening to the first episode I look forward to uh, hearing feedback and all that kind of stuff um, and hopefully you enjoyed our discussion on Wings and Sunrise and more importantly, hopefully you seek out the films and enjoy them as well and uh, hopefully you uh, look forward to our next episode on Broadway Now We will see you in a month